Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We'll come to it in a minute. I need to ask you a question this morning. I need to ask me a question. Is there a burning hell? Is there a burning hell? This is the most important question we could possibly ask ourselves. It's far more important than your life or your death. But it's a question that isn't asked. And it's a question that isn't answered. It's a question that's ignored to the current bane of religion in our country. And I fear the bane of religion in our own souls and our own congregation. Who cares about death? It's nothing. But what about the second death? Is there a burning hell? I read in Luke chapter 12 the precious words of the Lord Jesus Christ in verses 4 and 5. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Amen. That is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ to his friends. Right. And so anyone who thinks that this is not a friendly message does not know Jesus Christ rightly, Amen. nor the word of God truthfully, because it's a warning of wrath to come. This is the most detested topic in the whole world. The subject of hell. No one considers it. No one preaches it. Is it no longer preached in the pulpits of this country because we have proved that hell does not exist? Or is it no longer preached in the pulpits of this country because no one wants to hear it and the preachers follow the whims of their congregations. Right. Some try to deny that it exists. I don't blame them. But it's only foolish, wishful thinking. Right. I wish I could get rid of hell. But as you know and as I know, we have a strong man who is the only mediator between God and man who has got rid of hell Amen. for us. And yet, you must be warned to consider this subject. It's become a common swear word. People describe the smallest difficulties of life as hell. Someone will come home from a rough day at work and say that it was hell. Someone will have a practice on an athletic team and describe it as Hell. They don't know what they're talking about, to use that word that way. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul said, For we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we may receive the things done in our body, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's what the Apostle Paul said. You can ignore me this morning. You can be busy thinking about something else. You can read something else. You can read elsewhere in your Bible. You can look at hymns. You can try to ignore me. But there's one glorious thing about preaching the truth. And that is that Jesus Christ will someday show you what I'm preaching about. And if you sit and ignore it, you give me all the evidence that you're going to experience it firsthand. And I shall rejoice because you did not have enough love and worship and delight in God to humble yourself before Him and acknowledge your sins and admit that you need to hear this. No one in heaven is going to be feeling sorry for those in hell. Because they all deserve it. Because once we see the infinite holiness and righteousness and perfection of the living God and His perfectly holy and righteous anger and fury, we'll want to be in agreement with Him and we shall be without choosing to be. For we shall be like Him. Self-deception. Can you imagine being self-deceived on this subject? I'm not going there. That doesn't affect me. Hell doesn't bother me. Or ignoring this matter is the most incredibly stupid thing that a person could do. Jesus warned his friends whom they should fear and they should fear him. What does it matter to die? And all of you are afraid of death. If someone were to come in here with the mean with the with deadly force, we'd all see. There's not a man in here that can resist it because they have that natural fear of death. They'll do anything in their power to resist it, to flee from it, to hide from it. And yet that is nothing. Jesus said, There's no fear of death. Who cares if they kill the body? That's the ending of all pain. That's the ending of all suffering. But I'll forewarn you whom you should fear. Fear him. That after he hath killed, he can cast body and soul into hell. That's the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a question. Is there a burning hell? Is there a burning hell? Who shall we ask? Let's turn over just a couple of pages to Luke 16. And let's ask a certain rich man. Luke 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man. I find verse 19 starting out unusually. It doesn't say, and the kingdom of heaven is like unto. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, and Jesus spoke another parable unto them, does it? It doesn't say that, does it? And why does it say there was a certain rich man? And why is it going to name a certain beggar? Because this is not a parable. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. That sounds like an American. And there was a certain beggar 
named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. The rich man died and was buried. And I'm sure it was a glorious burial, wasn't it? Oh, burials are so pretty with all of their flowers. But oh, where is the soul of that person that's hid? I mean, where's the soul of that body that is hid by all those pretty flowers laying on those little silk pillows in that beautiful coffin? Where's the soul? The rich man lifted up his eyes. He could still see and feel and move and know and think and ask and hear. He lifted up his eyes in hell, being in torments. You know, so many denominations today wish it said that the rich man died and was buried and was annihilated. It's called the doctrine of the annihilation of the soul, that there is no feeling or consciousness after death. That's what they wish it said, but it doesn't say that. I might wish that it said that, but it doesn't say that. And therefore, we ought not to deceive ourselves, to deceive ourselves thinking there is not a cliff ten feet in front of me over which I will fall at any moment. But to close my eyes and to walk blindly forward is the height of folly. We should read and hear what it says. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. And it's not a place of destruction. It's a place of punishment. It's a place of torment. And he seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. The next thing after death, the rich man knew, was great torment. And he cried in verse 24 and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. The fire is so hot that this man could wish for the tip of one finger to be dipped in water for his tongue. That is severe torment. But that's what it says in your Bible. For he said, for I am tormented in this flame. The fire is hot. We have a question, is there a burning hell? The rich man would say, with screams of anguish and pain and suffering in his torment... In his great thirst for one drop of water, yes, there is a burning hell. Verse 25 tells us, but Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. So much for the good life, huh? 
the good life is really wonderful. I wonder how much comfort the rich man is obtained is is getting now from the good life. I wonder how much satisfaction the rich man has right now from his income statement and from his balance sheet and from his accomplishments. Do you th- would he trade it? Would he trade it to be where Lazarus is? So much for the good life. You want to receive your good things now or later? I want them later. Abraham said in verse 26, And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. There is no deliverance from heaven toward those in hell, and there is no escaping of those in hell to heaven. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And no matter how poorly I might teach you this morning and preach to you this morning, if you don't hear me, you wouldn't hear if someone was here from the dead that had been to hell. Who shall we ask? Is there a burning hell? When we ask the rich man, he screams out that yes, there is a burning hell. Should we ask Sodom and Gomorrah? Because I read in 2 Peter chapter 2 and in the book of Jude that Sodom and Gomorrah are suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So if we were to ask Sodom and Gomorrah, they would say yes. And if someone thinks that Sodom and Gomorrah were annihilated, let me ask you this question. Why in Mark chapter 6 and verse 11 did Jesus Christ say it will be more tolerable for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in the the day of judgment than for you. Sounds to me like Sodom and Gomorrah are still around. Sounds to me like they still have a final official day of sentencing from the great God. Shall we ask Pharaoh? What would Pharaoh say? Before he answered the question, he would say, For I was raised up and lifted up into power for one purpose, that God might get glory over me. And yes, there is a hell. Because after my soul departed my body at the bottom of the Red Sea, I lifted up my eyes in torment also and saw Abraham. If we ask Solomon, what would Solomon say? We hear his wise and solemn studied answer in the last verse of his book called Ecclesiastes for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil we memorize the 13th verse which tells us the conclusion of the whole matter and the whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep his commandments but the wise man studied and knowledgeable and by inspiration wrote that there was a holy reason for that 
that it was the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Amen. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. I can think of someone else we should ask. How about asking the devils? The devils themselves. Is there a burning hell, devils? They know far more than men know. They believe. Devils are believers. They know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Doesn't do them any good. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, When he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? What would the devil say if we asked them, Is there a burning hell? They would shriek, Yes! They know there is one. They tremble at the knowledge of it. When they saw Jesus, they knew who he was. They knew that he was their judge. Why don't men know that? Art thou come to torment us before the time? They know there's a time for it. And they know there's a judgment coming. And they know that that judgment is not annihilation. That judgment is torment. Torment. Annihilation wouldn't cause anyone any trouble. Annihilation is a relief. When you can go to sleep and lose consciousness every night, you love it. And if it was annihilation, you would love it. We could live like dogs in this world. There is no fear at all in annihilation. Because there is no fear of God before the pagan hallucinators that came up with that idea. Right. It is not annihilation, it's torment. It's torment, the devils would shriek yes. What if we ask the Lord Jesus Christ... We read it last Sunday in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 33. He'd say, you serpents, you vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Is there a burning hell? Amen. Jesus would say, yes, there is. How about 2 Thessalonians chapter 1? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. What would the Apostle Paul say to us? 2 Thessalonians 1, we've already read Paul a couple times this morning. As we opened our service this morning, I quoted to you Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 29, where it says that our God is a consuming fire. That was Paul. We've also quoted to you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul said, We shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He knew that the Lord was terrible. We read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the word of Paul. Is there a burning hell, Paul? Yes. It is flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you want to obey this morning? What if we ask Peter? Peter warns in 2 Peter chapter 2 of a mist 
of blackness, of darkness, forever. A mist of blackness, of darkness, forever. I'll bet if God could create darkness in Egypt in the time of the Israelites that you could feel. I'll bet hell is so dark you can feel it on every inch of your body. Even though you're in flames of torment, God is infinite in his creative wisdom and power to create a punishment just for us living our little foolish lives down here and ignoring him. If Jesus Christ doesn't save us. Come to Romans chapter 1. You know what I find most difficult about this subject or one of the most difficult things? Romans chapter 1. I don't question that there is such a place. I don't question that it's fair. I don't question that God is just. I don't question that it's terrible. But do you know what? All men know that it's there. But no one wants to talk about it. But I want to talk about it. Because I want to be your pastor. And I want you to think about everything that the Word of God warns us about. If I was to preach to you only comforting subjects, I would be no preacher of the gospel. I wouldn't be like Paul. Paul told me that knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul said that God is a consuming fire. We must preach the whole counsel of God. But the Bible says that the wicked know that it's there. Look at Romans 1 verse 18. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. It is clear. It's been made manifest. They understand it. And the wrath of God is revealed. And men know it. But Satan has so taken our nation and our world at this time and so filled us with medium of all form, of all sorts of noise and confusion and distraction, no one thinks about it. But I'll tell you, when they get close to death, they think about it. When they're at a funeral, they think about it. When they see a hurricane, they think about it. When they see a tornado, they think about it. That's why they're afraid. Because they see the power of God. And it's an eternal power. It's not an annihilating power. It's not a temporary power. It's an eternal power. And it's the wrath of God against wickedness. And they know it. But they turn their backs on that knowledge, as the rest of Romans chapter 1 tells us, and professing themselves to be wise, they come off and say, that's just hellfire and brimstone preaching. That went out with the dinosaurs. If you ask your conscience, is there a burning hell? If you haven't seared your conscience into oblivion, you know there's one. Is God able to create a burning hell? Let's ask that question. Is God able to create one? Well, I read that he was able to stretch out the heavens by his own hands and create and form the earth. And it says in the place where it says that, is there anything too hard for the Lord? I don't think it's hard for him to create a burning hell. 
If he can set the Earth in orbit at 67,000 miles an hour, spinning on its own axis at 1,000 miles an hour, 93 million miles from the sun, which sun is able to burn the skin off of your body by laying in it for just a few hours? I think he can take care of a burning hell. Ever laid in the sun and felt what it felt like a few hours later after you laid there just a half an hour too long? He can fry the skin off your body from 93 million miles away with the smallest of his little balls of fire. He's able. There's no limit on God's ability to create such a place. He created that sun for our profit and for our pleasure. But look what it can do. 93 million miles away. What if you were cast into the middle of it? Well, I'd be consumed. Oh, you're forgetting about God. If he was able to keep Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the flames without being consumed, Mm -hmm. then he can keep you from being consumed, but feeling all the pain of that incredible heat. He can quench the violence of fire, we're told in Hebrews 11.34. He can fan it also. Yes, I believe that God is able, but is God willing to create a burning hell? Turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Is there a burning hell? We need to ask the question. It's a question we should think about. And I ask you, when was the last time you thought about it? How many minutes this week did you think about it? How many hours this year did you think about it? Who shall we ask? We've asked a number of people, and they've all... It's been unanimous so far. There is a burning hell. Is God able? Of course He is. Is He willing? Let's find out. Is God willing to have a burning hell? Romans chapter 9 and verse 22. Amen. What if God... Willing. Whenever you hear those little people who've never understood their Bibles, who are so all caught up in social do-goodism, quoting verses like 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, bring them over to Romans 9, 22. What if God, willing, do you hear it? Willing. He's not being forced. He wasn't forced to create, and he wasn't forced to damn. Willing. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? When a man lives 70 years in this life and raises his fists in his heart or physically against God, and God puts up with that for 70 years and sends His sunshine on that man and sends His rain on that man, that is an act of kindness. Because that man is defying the eternal living God. And God has purposed that He will show His wrath and His power on that person. Now, what, we, what do we know about God's wrath and power? Well, we just read it in Romans chapter 1. It's eternal. What annihilation be any credit to the God of heaven. No credit at all. But notice what the text tells us here. God is willing. What if God, willing? He is willing to create a burning hell, to show His 
eternal wrath and his eternal power on sinners. And he suffers them for their lives here in this world. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, we're told about the origin of hell. Matthew 25 and verse 25, 41 says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Is God willing to create a burning hell? Yes, he was. Because he had some, he had the devil and his angels that needed a place to spend eternity where he could punish them with everlasting fire. And because he has that place, he's willing to use it for men that want to reject him, for men that want to ignore him, for men that want to live for themselves, for men that are wicked and want to sin without humbling themselves before God. I read in Jude chapter 1 and verse 4 that wicked men were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Is he willing? I would say he must be willing if he's ordained before of old men to that condemnation. I'd say that's indeed willing. That's before the men were ever around. They were ordained to it. You say, well, that's not fair. God always is right and fair and perfect in what he does. And those men certainly haven't shown any remorse for the 70 years that they live on this place. They defy him every day. Is God willing to create a burning hell? Why does he call it the lake of fire? Why did he pick that name? I don't like that name. A lake of fire? Why didn't he call it prison? Why didn't he call it trouble? Why didn't he name it the end? Why did he name it the lake of fire? I'll tell you why he named it the lake of fire. I know the two ways you don't want to die. You don't want to drown. You don't want to burn to death. And he calls it the lake of fire. I think he's infinitely wise. I believe he's infinitely wise. Is God willing to create a burning hell? Romans twelve nineteen says this about him. Vengeance is mine. I will repay saith the Lord. I read the same thing in Hebrews chapter 10. Vengeance belongeth unto me, in verse 30 of Hebrews 10, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That is not annihilation. There's nothing fearful about falling into the hands that are just going to put you to sleep with no consciousness forever. Is God willing to create a burning hell? Vengeance is His. He loves vengeance. He lays hold on it like it's His toy. He prides Himself in it. It's His glory. For those that raise up and make themselves the enemies of the Most High God, vengeance is His pleasure. Fury is His pleasure. It's His. I will recompense. I will repay, saith the Lord. That is the God that we worship. That is the God of the Bible. And it's a God that is sorely neglected and rejected today. But it doesn't matter, brethren. They're all going to acknowledge the God that you're hearing about right now. And they're going to see it. And they're going to know it. And they're going to feel it. 
Isaiah 33. Let's look at a few verses in Isaiah 33. How could a God even write these words unless indeed He was willing to create a burning hell? Isaiah 33. Isaiah 33 and verse 10. Now will I rise, saith the Lord. Now will I rise, saith the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. Ye shall conceive chaff. Ye shall bring forth stubble. Your breath as fire shall devour you. Isaiah thirty-three twelve, And the people shall be as the burnings of lime, as thorns cut up, Shall they be burned in the fire? Hear, ye that are far off, what I have done. And ye that are near, acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? That's the word of the Lord. Who shall dwell with devouring fire, everlasting burnings, as the burnings of lime, and his thorns being cut up and put in the fire. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. The Lord has stood up, and it's time for judgment. Isaiah 33. I hear someone saying, Is sin a sufficient cause for a burning hell? Is sin a sufficient cause for burning hell? Just a sin? A few sins? Maybe quite a few sins. Is that enough for a burning hell? I remind you that he drowned the entire earth saving eight souls. It didn't matter to him whether they were babies in diapers or young couples on their honeymoon or the handicapped in wheelchairs or your Sunday school teacher when you were seven years old. Didn't matter to him. Because sin is sufficient. He looked upon the earth and saw that the thoughts of men's hearts were only evil continually from their youth. And it grieved him that he had made the earth, and so he drowned the entire earth. And he drowned them. The suffocation and oxygen starvation of drowning is a very horrible way to die. But you know what's even worse? It's knowing that you're going to die that way several days in advance. And do you know what everyone on the earth got to think about? The water just kept coming. The rain just kept coming. The rain just kept coming. Every precautionary effort they could make, they made. And the rain just kept coming. And it just kept getting higher and higher and higher. And they got to watch it happen in their, among their relatives and their neighbors and their friends, and the water kept getting higher. Is sin sufficient cause for God to create a burning hell? Just think about the flood that he gave on this earth. Yes, it is. And the water got higher until they themselves had that glorious moment of being suffocated entirely out of oxygen in that claustrophobic feeling of panic when you cannot get air to your lungs. That's how God took every living thing out of this world. You say you're morbid. No, I'm scriptural, and if you don't like it, there's plenty of churches in Greenville County that preach a different gospel. And that God is not like that. He's the God of the Old Testament. He's been converted. 
He went to school and learned to be politically correct. But the God of the Bible didn't do that. Amen. The God of the Bible does not change. And sin is a horrible thing. Right. One sin is a horrible thing. One sin on the part of Adam and Eve was enough to cast the entire human race into an eternity in hell, whether you never sinned or not. That's incredible to hear. But it's truth. It's the truth. Should we ask Sodom? Is sin a sufficient cause for a burning hell? You say all they had was an alternative lifestyle. They were gay. That's all they were. They were gay. Fire fell from heaven and consumed them and the cities of the plain. And the Bible tells us they're yet suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Is sin a sufficient cause for a burning hell? Why don't you ask the Canaanites? How did the Canaanites die? How'd their children die? How'd their wives die? By the vengeance of the sword of the Israelites from God himself. He waited until the sin of the Amorites was full, and then he punished them for it, and it was complete and utter destruction of any age, sex, or condition. Without mercy. What about the Egyptians? What happened to them in ten plagues? What about Korah and his family? Is sin a sufficient cause for a burning hell? Amen. All Korah did was worship God just a little differently. That's all he did. Korah was the right man. Korah was from the tribe of Levi. Korah was at the right place. Korah had the right God in mind. He just tried a little different worship. And the earth opened her, her mouth and swallowed him alive. Should we ask Korah? You know, I read in the Bible that just disobeying your parents is enough for capital punishment. But do you know what God chooses for that capital punishment? Stoning. Amen. I hate our forms of capital punishment in this country. We ought to go back to stoning on pay-per-view television. Stoning is a slow way to go. Yep. A painful way to go. Did you know that Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 16 that says setting light by your mother or your father is enough to be stoned? Setting light by your mother or your father. Speaking lightly about your parents. Is sin a sufficient cause for a burning hell? I think so. The devils believe that it is and they tremble. Did you know that anger with a brother without a cause and calling him a fool, according to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, interpreting and explaining the sixth commandment is sufficient for hellfire. Yep. Calling your brother a fool without a cause, Matthew 5.22, is sufficient. But cannot God acquit? Cannot God clear? Look at Exodus chapter 34. I'm not ready to clear the guilty yet. The guilty can't be cleared. The guilty must have a substitute. Exodus 34 and verse 7, it says in the middle of that verse, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Will by no means clear the guilty. God is able to make a, a burning hell. God is willing to have a burning hell. Sin is sufficient for a burning hell. Those in hell would tell us, yes, it exists. Can God acquit and clear the guilty? That belong there? No, he cannot. Not by any means. According to Exodus 34 and verse 7, 
if we're, to be, if we're to believe and follow the Bible. Look at Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Numbers 14 verse 18. And it says in the middle of this, And by no means, there it is again, clearing the guilty. Numbers 14, 18. And I can read it in other places in the Bible. God cannot clear or acquit the wicked and the guilty. They must suffer because of His justice. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. As God told Adam, so He has told all of us. Whether we've sinned ourselves or not, and of course we have, Adam's sin was enough. God cannot acquit. But the God of the New Testament is different, I hear someone say. God doesn't change. He's immutable. Doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Stop playing games. He doesn't change. You change. He doesn't change. When it's the New Testament tells us our God is a consuming fire, it's confirming everything the Old Testament has to say about Him. When the glorified Jesus Christ appears to His bosom buddy friend, John, he fell at his feet as dead. It is not different. Jesus Christ is the horrifying Jehovah God of the Old Testament when he's in his glorified form, which he is forevermore. And I want to remind you of something. Rejecting Jesus Christ and the preaching of Jesus Christ is far worse than any offense ever committed under the Old Covenant. If those who despise Moses' commandments were stoned to death of how much sore punishment, Paul writes several times in the book of Hebrews, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. The God of the New Testament is different. I hear Jesus saying over and over, they shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I hear Jesus telling religious leaders of his day, how shall ye escape the damnation of hell? I hear Peter saying, the damnation doesn't slumber. It's not asleep. It's roaring. God's fury is building. It's only his long suffering that is holding it back until all of his elect are gathered in. There is a burning hell. The Bible describes it as everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. The Bible describes it in Mark chapter 9 three times in a row as a place where the fire is not quenched. The fire is not put out. It continues to burn. And where the worm dieth not. Your conscience, your conscience and your conscious existence does not end. Forever and ever and ever. The fire is not quenched. And you are consciously aware of your torment and of the fact that you rejected and hated the God of glory that was revealed plainly to you in creation and in this nation and in this congregation by the preaching of the gospel. You had no time for God. Now he has plenty of time for you. He has an eternity for you in the lake of fire, but it's described as a place where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die. It's everlasting punishment. 
It's everlasting punishment. It doesn't, you don't end. It's not annihilation. It's everlasting punishment. It's outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's vexation and frustration and pain of soul in those words, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a lake burning with brimstone and eternal smoke that ascends up into the presence of God and it says there is no rest there forever and ever. I read in Romans chapter 2 that God describes his wrath toward man this way. He says, indignation and wrath and tribulation and anguish for every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew and of the Gentile. Listen to God. Indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish listed in a row in Romans chapter 2, 8 and 9. There isn't anything at any one moment that keeps you out of hell. Nothing. Is it the lack of God's power that you think? Is it the lack of your, you don't deserve it? You've been eating right, so there's no chance of you dying? You're not worthy of such a place? God's made you some promise? There is a burning hell. What shall we do? Well, a certain appointment's been made for you in Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. So all you have to do is keep from dying. The wise man wrote and said that we ought to fear God and to keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God's going to bring every work into judgment. Jesus Christ has been appointed the judge of the quick and the dead. Jesus Christ, the man that was rejected when he was here on earth in person, and the one who's been rejected because everybody's little lives are so important to you. Your little tiny job, your little tiny house, your little tiny family, your little tiny nothing becomes so important to you, you have no time for Jesus Christ when you meet him. He'll be the judge of how you used your time. He'll be the judge of every word that came out of our mouths. We shall give an account of every idle word, the Bible tells us. I preached just a few weeks ago on redeeming the time. We don't have time for him. We are so caught up in all the vain little attractions of our own lives. But the wise man would say, who tried all those attractions far more than you're even capable of imagining, he said, the whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep his commandments. And that's how I conclude my whole experiment with life, the wise man said. You know, Felix once heard this message from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul stood before Felix and reasoned with him of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And Felix trembled. Some of you are sleeping. It's okay. God will wake you up. Some of you don't tremble. That's okay. You will someday. Felix trembled. And he said, Paul, that's enough for now. I'll call you back when I have some convenient time. And he left Paul in chains. Because when you hear the warning of the word of God, and you don't repent, and you walk away, you are leaving the seed of the word of God laying by the wayside, and Satan comes along and snatches it away, and you will forget it. It's the way that it works.
So what should you do today? You should hear and fear and tremble. And do you know what Jesus Christ said? He said it is better for you to pluck out your right eye and to enter into life half blind than to enter into hell with two eyes. Now, he didn't mean for us to mutilate ourselves. He just meant for us to mortify our flesh. And anything that is stealing away from worshiping God with your whole heart and your whole life and your whole soul needs to be cut out and plucked out and cut off. That's what he would say to do. Because what if we were to gain the whole world but lose our soul? What should a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing matters except to put the Lord Jesus Christ first. The Lord says, because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God. Do you know what the answer is? The answer is to flee to Jesus Christ. Our first parents made a horrible choice. They went and hid in the Garden of Eden. They should have run to God and laid hold of him and humbled themselves and repented. But they didn't. And what will we do this morning? We should run to the Lord Jesus Christ and believe on him. There is no one that has ever believed on the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth that he is the Son of God and lived and tried to live according to that belief that shall ever suffer eternal judgment because it says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Amen. And he that believeth on him shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death into life. Because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.